Welcome back to another episode of Think Deeper. I believe we are on episode number 62. I'm your co-host, Will Harib, joined by Joe and Jack Wilkie. Uh, got another really good episode lined up for you today. We've got something that we want to talk about. This is this is exciting. I'll tell you, if you're normally somebody who skips over kind of our advertisement promotional stuff at the beginning of the episode, uh, please don't for this one. We've got some really cool things uh, going on. We've actually got some Think Deeper and Focus Press merchandise ordered. Um, that is something uh, that we have not dabbled too much in yet as far as uh, bags and mugs and, and shirts and things like that. Um, but suffice it to say, we have started dabbling in it, and so we want to do something kind of, kind of, kind of cool. We're going to be at Lads to Leaders uh, in Nashville Opryland Hotel here coming up in April, April sixth, seventh, and eighth. And I fully understand if you're somebody who who does not, uh, who is not close to Middle Tennessee, and therefore will not be at Lads to Leaders. Uh, we're going to have something else for you guys as well. But for those of you who are going to be uh, attending Lads to Leaders, the Lads to Leaders convention at Opryland Hotel. We got something cool we want to do. Um, we're going to have a booth there set up in the main, uh, obviously the place where the booths are. And what we want to do is uh, two things. One, if you if you come to our booth and, and purchase $50 or more worth of material, you're going to get a free Focus Press uh, drawstring bag. Um, but the other thing we want to do, specifically for those who are our, our deep thinkers, as we affectionately call you, Come up to the booth. Uh, Joe and Jack are going to be there. Uh, myself, we're all, all three of us are going to be there most of the weekend. Let us know you're a deep thinker. Take a selfie with us. We're going to get your uh, name and information down, and we're going to enter everybody who does those two things, who lets us know that they're a deep thinker and takes a selfie with us. We're going to enter you into a drawing that we're going to do on Saturday morning. So you'll have all day Friday uh, and all day Saturday morning to do, and we'll do the drawing uh, probably around lunchtime. And what you're going to get if you, and we might do, we still haven't decided how many we're going to do, either one, two, or three uh, drawings, but we're going to, you're going to get a free Focus Press drawstring bag. You're going to get a free uh, Think Deeper mug, uh, like a, a coffee, uh, and not not a mug, more like a tumbler, I guess, you know, the, the tumblers that keep your drinks hot or cold uh, with the Think Deeper logo on there. And then you're going to get a free book of your choice. Uh, any Basically any book at the Focus Press table um, other than the biology textbook. Uh, that you'd like. But again, we're going to do that at Last Leader. So if you're a deep thinker and you're going to be there, come by, take a selfie with us, let us know. Uh, and there's your shot at a at some Think Deeper and Focus Press merchandise, as well as a free book. So uh, again, we've, we talked about it before. We really love meeting the deep thinkers, people that um, support us by listening. And so if you're there, if you're going to be there, if you even if you have absolutely no interest in a Tumblr or, or a free book, just come by and say hello. We're uh, again, all three of us are going to be there. We're looking forward to uh, to meeting you guys and to, to establish some face-to-face connections as well that's not just virtual connections. Guys, anything to add to that? That's something, again, something excited that we're going to do. Again, stay tuned. If you're somebody who cannot be at Lads to Leaders, uh, we're going to do some some other drawings and things so you can kind of get your hands on some merchandise maybe as well. We'll probably have some for sale. But either way, anything else, guys, that you want to add to that, the uh, Lads to Leaders portion of it that's coming up here April 6th, 7th, and 8th. All right. Um, We'd love to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to Joe as we get into this week's very, very interesting episode that, that we've got lined up, kind of Joe's brainchild. So, Joe, take it away. Yeah, so we had been discussing, you know, what are we going to do for our topics? And, and we kicked several back and forth. We got a list, and and we were talking. We had a completely different topic planned, but um, a lot has been happening in the news, and it's been on my mind. And, and obviously, from our Think Fast, people know that we're pretty... Uh, well, uh, I shouldn't say well-informed, but, you know, we try to stay up on current events and what's been going on. And, of course, over the weekend, I was sick in bed, and so what else are you going to do other than kind of 
hop on Twitter or whatever it may be and, and figure out what's going on in the world. And uh, one of the big news points was this Silicon Valley bank collapsing. Now, I'm not going to get into any of the uh, banking details. I am far too stupid for that to understand the intricacies of everything going on. But it has created quite the stir online for uh, political pundits and everybody else to kind of have their take on, okay, what's going on? Should they get bailed out? Should they not get bailed out? But I thought it was very interesting that there were a lot of kind of doomsday people. Hey, pull your money out of the banks. This is going to start everybody pulling money out of the banks. This comes on the heels or, or right at the end of Tucker Carlson unveiling new footage from the January 6th um, riots, I guess, is, is what they are. Um, and that also caused quite the stir online. So everybody is debating this seemingly. Was you know Should he have done that? Was it good? Is it bad? What does this prove? Does it prove anything? Is there any difference as to what took place there? Once again, I'm not going to comment on the political impl- implications or, or my thoughts on that. Just enough to say there's been a decent amount in the news. There's also been some artificial intelligence things coming out. Chat GPT has been making its rounds, along with several other things. Um, Ukraine, Russia. And Ukraine, yeah, exactly. Ukraine, I mean, if you're paying attention to the news, there has been a significant amount of events in the last, even, even the last two weeks, but really months, six months, enough to say, should Christians be optimistic or pessimistic about the future? And that's what we want to look at today. Should they be optimistic or pessimistic about the future? And this is often known as the white pill or black pill. And if you're not well versed in online, um, there's there's a diff- or there's an idea behind white pill versus black pill. Jack, explain to the listeners, I guess, because you're the one that kind of introduced this to me. Explain to the listeners what is meant by white pill, black pill. I guess you could probably tr- trace the etymology back to the Matrix thing: the red pill, blue pill, awake versus in the system kind of thing, um, noticing versus not noticing, and that's been given political parlance by this guy named Mencius Moldbug a number of years ago. It's it deep internet lore kind of thing that nobody cares about. Uh, but you'll hear that about politics, red pill, blue pill. Well, out of that came white pill, black pill, which is optimistic, pessimistic in a sense of uh, when you watch the news, when you see what's going on, are you looking forward to the future going, things are going to be all right or are you going to it's all falling apart the world's collapsing we are doomed to really awful stuff you know we're heading back to the gulags we're heading to you know all kinds of off i mean great reset stuff things like that you read about and so that question is out there and one of the most frustrating things that that we don't want to do we'll talk about this a little bit more so i don't want to get too far ahead of us a lot of times christians will go well jesus wins in the end yeah no denial of that at all. But in the short term, do we think our lives, the lives of our children or your grandchildren, if you have them, are going to be marked with difficulty? I mean, because one of the things we'll, I guess one of the ways we could frame this is looking back over the last 50 to 100 years, that would be, you know, like if if you could sign up for that, that would be a white pill kind of thing. That's pretty optimistic. Yeah, there were a lot of bad things. There's The world was not perfect, all of that. But you're fairly prosperous, fairly safe. You know, we weren't going to wars all the time. There, there've been conflicts and things like that. But, um, you know, the our, our nation was safe. Our cities have been safe. Crime has dropped. You know, things have been 
relatively good over the last 50 to 100 years. And so projecting out ahead, do you think things are going to go well or things are going to go poorly? And again, it's one of the most frustrating things in the world that Christians hand wave this away and say, well, Jesus wins in the end. Yes. But what about our lives, you know, here, the, the, the world that we're trying to create and, and the influence we have and things like that? Do you think for the church, you know, we talk about sometimes the coming persecution. Well, that would be a black pill kind of thing in the short term. You think things are going in a negative direction versus positive direction. So that's kind of your, your overview of what we're going to be discussing here today. As we see these things come into the news, as we process these as Christians, as we deal with the emotions that come from that, the anger, the fear, the worry, the, you know, or optimism, the, the happiness, the joy, whatever it may be. Well, speaking from a young person's perspective here, and because I think you could have a lot of older generations that, yeah, they might be concerned, they might be, you know, aware that, hey, maybe things aren't going in a great direction, but not to be morbid by any means. The people that have a decade or two left on the earth are not going to be as forward and long-term thinking as the people that have five or six decades you know, prayerfully left on the earth. And so from a young person's perspective, I just want to speak to, to kind of where my mind, you know, if, if somebody just straight up asked me, hey, are you more optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Again, without getting into any kind of discussion, the discussion that we're going to have here, I, my answer would be pessimistic. Uh, because, and somebody told me, hey, we can really tell that you're a new parent because you bring your son up like all the time. And I, I realized that I probably should check myself on that a bit. But I do, you know, you think about how much different your view of the world is when you've got children, when you've got a one-year-old that you realize, hey, I've probably got, you know, Lord willing, five, six decades left. My son's got eight, nine decades left on the earth. And so what kind of world, what kind of America are they going to be growing up in? You don't really think about that when you don't have kids. Again, it's very individualistic. And so when I say, when my answer would be, hey, I've grown up in a time where I basically don't remember any positive news stories. It's been all bad. It's been all negative news stories for me. Again, the, 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 since I started paying attention to the news, I guess oh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade is really about the only thing that I can think of that I remember going, man, that's awesome. That's a really positive news story. Everything else has been negative. Everything else has been just a lot of, man, where are we headed as a country? Uh, we had a think fast a few weeks ago now, three or four weeks ago, about don't believe your TV. And I made the point that, again, for me, I'm at a position where I don't really believe anything the internet or believe anything the TV or believe anything social media or the government tells me. That's a pretty pessimistic point of view. And so I want to ask you guys, y'all aren't that much older than me. Maybe don't you don't have to say, oh, I'm, I'm black pill, I'm white pill. But what do you have to add to that? Because, again, as somebody who has a, a 16-month-old that I'm looking at and being like, man, what is his world going to look like in 30 years? What is his world going to look like in 40 years when maybe I, I, you know, I'm going to be on my way out, so to speak? That's the type of stuff that enters my mind. What do you guys have to add to that? Oddly enough, this connects us back to last week when we talked about marriage and singleness, and we referenced Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 talking about the present distress, and it might be better to not have you know, a spouse and kids because of the concern for them. And you just think about preaching the gospel. When you see in Canada preachers being dragged out of their churches, arrested through, through the COVID stuff, um, even here in America, like anti-abortion protesting and, and not violent, not they didn't break any laws, but... You know, uh, preachers, Christians who have, have, you know, been jailed, been charged, you know, with things like that. As a parent, as a father, that's terrifying. You look at that and go, I, I can't afford to be in that situation. I can't afford to have that happen. But on the other hand, we got to preach the gospel. We've got to go forward with that. And so you're right. It, it just adds a level of concern. If it's just me, okay, you know, that would not be great, but um, I can live with that. Whereas, 
It, it certainly changes the dynamic. But as you said, the world we want to create for them. And this is this is the funny thing over the last couple of years, the whole love your neighbor thing. I mean, it became just the rubber stamp for everything, as I've talked about before. But this is a way of loving your neighbor, loving your, you know, the next generation and wanting a world where they can be safe, where they can, you know, realize they can turn on the TV without uh, one of my friends was posting about uh his, his little son, three or four years old, his favorite TV show, introduced a non-binary character. You want to create a world where people can turn the TV on for their kids and not be indoctrinated in that way. That is a way of loving your neighbor, is moving in that direction. And it's, it's a negative thing. And so when you realize, when you start looking at the world outside of yourself, it doesn't matter to me as an individual, if I were a single man in his 30s, you know, if, if they've got kids cartoons with non-binary characters but because for everybody else i want to create a certain kind of world that is a thing that we've got to be wise about realize what's going on and so you know it's things like that that start feeding the pessimism but i don't think we want to fully lean into pessimism i don't i don't think we wanted this episode to be man the world is terrible um but but you raise a really great point there will of it raises the stakes for sure well, and again, I'm, I'm just speaking off the cuff. That would be my answer before we really get into it. Because, again, I, how many positive news stories have I heard in the last 10 years? Not very many. Well, I think it's important to lay out some of the pessimistic side because you may have those that, once again, Jack, and you would, you would reference this, well, Jesus is king. You know, it all works out in the end. Thank you. I realize that. But as you just referenced, Paul, Jesus himself, John and Revelation, like, guys, it's going to get a lot worse. Now, be faithful unto death, you'll receive the crown of life. But what is that in reference to it's about to get really really bad so make sure you stay faithful that wasn't exactly the uh the white pill excuse me the white pill in my opinion uh that was a guys just be aware of what's coming um but yes you will receive the crown of life so is it the ultimate white pill at the end of all things yes but i think christians can kind of push this aside and well this doesn't really matter and don't worry about it and to your point will no, there are some very serious things to worry about that would seemingly make it look pessimistic. Now, this is coming from me, who was the biggest black pill on the planet, but I have been doing uh, a lot of reading recently, a lot of thinking about different things, and one of the books that I read was literally called The White Pill by Michael Malice. Content warning, there's there's a few cuss words in there, um, It's and it's just one of those books that's kind of tough to get through from a historical perspective, like, whoa. Um, he covers, Jackie referenced the gulags earlier, that's what he covers, is um, the Russian Revolution and, and everything taking place at the turn of the century, and Russia, kind of the rise of the communist government, the CCCP, um, throughout the 1900s. And it was a pretty eye-opening book, if you're interested in it. Uh, I thought it was going to be a lot of him kind of laying out, here's why we're white pill, here's, here's why you should be optimistic, it wasn't that at all. It was a history book, but uh, you glean the details from that. And so I think there's definite reasons for optimism. However, we may end up be going we may end up going through one of those times. So we'll get to the reasons for optimism, but I think first we have to let that sit in. There is some reason, I think, for pessimism that things will get worse before they get better. And and I think all three of us would confidently agree with that, correct? That sure. things will get worse before they get better. And deservedly so, in a sense. I mean, like there, you read so much stuff in the Old Testament, and you know Joe and I are teaching on Revelation for uh, our our church Sunday morning class, and that pushes you back to Daniel, it pushes you back to Ezekiel, and just how many condemnations on nations themselves there were of God saying, "Hey, you as a people are evil, and you you're going to get punished for it. You 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 can't just get away with 
all of this. And so unless there's a mass repentance tomorrow, the kind of culture that would put LGBT characters on children's shows deserves a, a reckoning. And there always is. God always keeps score. Nobody gets away with it forever. We've seen this throughout human history. And so that is, I mean, that's a pessimism and optimism in itself of, yeah, there's going to be a consequence for that. There's, there's, going to be bad things that come of that in fact you could honestly look at the history of the world and and what's happened in america the financial decline the way things are going there even something like covid and and just the way all of the upheaval we've gone through is the kind of stuff that happens when a nation starts falling apart because of its own immorality it's the kind of stuff of god bringing judgment on a nation and so you know that's one of those things that got like badly associated with televangelists that every time there's a tornado this is god's judgment rather than Maybe it's just, you know, nature, you know, things that happen. But when things start piling up against a nation and just things get worse and worse and worse, God does bring judgment against a nation. He brings things to its knees. And so that leads you to believe, yeah, there's there's pessimism on that front. But even at that is not a bad thing for Christians. And it doesn't mean things are done forever. It's all over and, and just turn the game off kind of thing. Well, a lot of this also was going to come down to we got to bring in the fancy word eschatology here. Uh, Jack referenced their, their teaching on, uh, on Revelation. And so, Jack, I, I want to hand it to you since you're the one teaching the class. A lot of your reading and understanding of Revelation is going to, it's going to affect your eschatology and vice versa. The, the way that you view the end times, the way that you view the end of the world is going to affect your reading of Revelation. And so that's what a lot of this white pill, black pill thing comes down to. Is it going to get progressively better or is it going to be progressively worse? And so I don't know which one of you already said I was going to hand it to Jack. Um, get into kind of this this debate about eschatology and get, even get into a little bit how that pertains to the book of Revelation and, and why why all of that matters. Yeah. So, you know, you hear a lot about the millennium, the millennium, uh, premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism. Millennium Falcon, right? Yeah, Millennium Falcon. Thanks, Joe. I'm having a hard time saying it as is, so let's uh, let's throw another millennium in there. Um, <laughs> That's the one I want to discuss. There you go. Um, with those, what you typically what what is out there in the culture is premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism, the idea of tribulation and you, the left behind thing and the rapture and things that people talk about. The rapture. And in fact, right. I said in class usually. When you see somebody come on TV and they talk about what's going on in the news and, and bad news developments and wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff, and they say, this is exactly like what happens in the book of Revelations. If somebody says the book of Revelations, ignore everything else they have to say because they can't even get the title <laughs> of the book right. right. It's the book of Revelation, and it was not a future roadmap to... Russia, Ukraine, China, America, you know, all the things you see, the, oh, the, the you know, this, that, and the other thing, that's the mark of the beast, and this microchip thing, that's the mark of the beast, and these, all right, hang on now, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves, that was not the point of Revelation, but with the millennium thing, there's this idea of, there's going to be tribulation, it's going to get really bad on earth, there's going to be the rapture that gets the Christians out of here, so we don't have to go through the really bad, and then Jesus comes and reigns on earth for a thousand years, and then all the people go to heaven. No, there's there's just too much going on there. That's not this is not an eschatology podcast. That is a that's an episode we'll have to do. It might be a who let the dogma out podcast. It's a little uh, more on the deep end of, of theology and things like that. But ouch, 
that hurts. Yeah, he's saying we're not we're not. Yeah, smart we're not enough smart enough. He's gonna have to pull into we think big deeper. Hitters. We just don't study deeper. That's all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, right. okay. No, it, it's this trying to be more cultural commentary podcast. That is a lot of uh, heavy lifting there. That uh, might be. Yeah, sure. Uh, we might get to it sometime. Um, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> you guys are you guys are killing me here. Um, anyway, why don't I, I say all that to say when you take the premillennial view, you really expect things to get bad. You expect the world to end as this sinking ship that God is rescuing the Christians off of. People who are old enough or, or who are well-versed in history, uh, to a degree at least, will remember seeing footage of, uh, in Vietnam, America evacuating in helicopters, taking people off the roof of the embassy, getting out because Vietnam had fallen. You know, like that. The, the effort to save Vietnam was, was being abandoned, essentially. That's what premillennialism views is going to happen to the church is it gets bad enough here that God's just going to get his own people out of here and let the chaos reign for a little bit, let Satan be unleashed and torment and tribulation and all that. And so when you come at it with this point of view, which is, again, the predominating one in evangelicalism, and you see the world getting bad, you go, oh, here we go. It's just going to decline into this direction. The Pope's millennial view says that things are going to get better and better and better. The reign of Christ is going to go to where all the nations become Christian before he comes back. Very optimistic, I think a little too optimistic. In the Churches of Christ, we typically hold to the amillennial view, that there really isn't a millennium itself, is that we are living in a millenn- the millennium. It's this time period of the church before the return of Christ, so on and so forth. Um, again, what you believe about those things shades a lot, and because premillennialism is so predominant, that idea, that pessimism feeds into our view of the world and politics and news and all that of things are just going to get bad, that's how it's going to be. And and when you view Revelation as this church versus Rome kind of thing, which I also think is wrong, um, largely at least. Again, long story, Revelation class, th- this, is, this is not that. But when you view it that way, you're going to view the church as always an underdog, always just hanging on, always the ragtag bunch of you know, scrappy underdogs who are are just trying to survive and surviving by the grace of Christ and, you know, but never really succeeding, never growing, never having success, never having influence, any of those things, that's not really it either. And so there's the eschatology you bring, the analysis you bring to the whole world comes out of your understanding of things like Revelation, of Matthew 24, of Daniel, and, and things like that. And I think the real lesson behind that is God expected his church to thr- to thrive and to flourish. The The parable of the mustard seed is that it would grow and it would be strong and the birds of the air would nest and it would be a blessing to all the nations, that it would do well, that it, it it's not going to always just be this tiny, tiny minority that's always oppressed, always beaten up on. And so when you take that view of Scripture and when you take that view of Revelation and of these eschatological texts, it really paints the pessimism versus optimism thing, and I think we read it wrong a lot, we as a culture, but sometimes we as a church, that leads to this kind of pessimism, and the pessimism can lead to inaction. Uh, it's just always going to be this way. The world's always terrible. The world uh, doesn't have to be, and I, I think that's part of what we're called to. I think it leads to a lot of Christians kind of punching the ticket as well, which is what we see. We rail against this all the time of check the box, check the box, check the box, but if there's not a conquering, we're going to go out and we're going to win the world for Christ. And yeah, we, we're going to win the world for Christ like we'll, we'll go and you know baptize one or two. But we're not talking about conquering the nations. And I think that's really what Christ is speaking to. 
So we're thinking small ball, you know, a single here and, and maybe a double. Like, no, no, we're swinging for the fences. That's what we ought to do, but that's what creates a lot of uh, check-the-box check mentality Christians instead of we're going to conquer. Not just trying to do those things, but expecting something to come of it. And not expecting, you know, that, that every person's going to convert. There's no promise of that. Not expecting that, you know, we're going to rule the world and, and Joe Wilkie is going to be king emperor of the American empire that rules over all the nations in the name of Christ. I mean, it could happen. I mean, it could. could I happen. mean, like, Ooh, that'd be a... hot takes with Joe man. as a national broadcast. <laughs> could you imagine? Night. Yeah. Fireside chats. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Fireside we're, we're chats. Not, and that, that, that to me is the post-millennial thing, is it's so overly optimistic that you look at it and go, there's always going to be resistance. There's always going to be bad guys. But we should also expect, and those kingdom parables that I brought up, the mustard seed and some of the other ones Jesus brought up of, it just grows. You don't know how it grows, but it, it grows. Expect growth. Expect success for this kingdom. You go back to Daniel. This is the kingdom that essentially supplants and, and overcomes all of the kingdoms of the earth. And so have a little optimism. It's okay. Well, I brought up, Jack, in your class the other day on Revelation about how, man, let's say you have that really, you know, premillennial mindset of, man, it's it's just all going downhill. Uh, you know, we're, we're down the slippery slope and there's nothing we can do to turn it around. That doesn't really give you much of an incentive to go out and evangelize. That doesn't really give you much of an incentive to go out and work for the church, to go out and, and spread the seed because it's like, man, it's all going downhill anyway. Man, you know, we, we're, we're going this direction. We can't really turn the ship around. So why even bother? Again, you hate to put it in those terms, but if that's the mindset that you have, again, coming from somebody who initially, when we started talking about this, I was like, man, I do kind of feel pessimistic about it. It really de-incentivizes you to do any work for the Lord's kingdom. It becomes a, well, let me just get to the finish line. Let me just make sure that I finish my Christian race and make sure that, that I keep my family faithful. And, of course, that should be our number one priority. But, again, we also see Jesus telling us, you know, the Great Commission still very much applies. Go out and we just had our evangelism episode. Go make disciples of all the nations. You know, that should not be something where we look at it and say, well, you know, we're, again, it's, it's all going downhill, so there's not really much point to that. No, what, what, what do we read about the apostles doing? In Acts 17, they turned the world upside down. This was something that they went out, they conquered. They went out, and not in a physical conquering, but they allowed the Spirit, they allowed their their uh, command from Jesus to go out and tell other people. That's exactly what they did. I think sometimes if we go too far in the other direction, we can look at it in such a way where it's like, man, this isn't going to do any good, so I might as well not even try in the first place. I want place. to make the case briefly for them as as they would make it, those that are evangelistic premillennially, not that I agree with them on their eschatology and, and probably a lot of other things, but their their pessimism of the end is they would say well we got to evangelize so we can convert every essentially it's all going to end when people stop converting and so let's go you know evangelize until we get to that point but it's also the idea of with the evangelism with the work you do with the labor in the world is you just don't expect anything to come of it. You expect there to you expect it to have a hard ceiling. Essentially, you're going to reach everybody there is to be reached. You're not going to have any influence. You're always going to lose. Like there's a cap. Yeah, there's on a cap. It, you're going to lose. You're not going to have influence. The world is going to fall. You know, it is going to be collapsing as God pulls us out of here. And so. You might still work, you might still labor, go down swinging, but you don't expect anything to come of it. Well, again, I, I just don't think that's the picture Jesus painted with those parables. So I did want to give their perspective as to why some of them do fight, and, and to their credit, but again, I think their their end goal is wrong. 
Well, my point is, though, you know, how hard is that for the, I hate to use this phrase, the average Christian, but let's say the average churchgoer. How hard is that for them to understand? You know, again, if they have that mindset, I feel like a lot of it is going to be just, there's less incentivization, I guess, is the way that I would put it. So, but yeah, I appreciate the clarification there. I think it's an important point to make as well, though, that you talked about Acts 17, they turn the world upside down. Keep in mind, 200 years later, around 8,300 ish, maybe a little bit more, a little bit past that. Christianity has taken over Rome, and a lot of people view that, Jack and I were recently talking about this, a lot of people view that as a negative thing. I look at that as a pretty great thing. You went from one of the most brutal, absolutely, one of the most brutal places to having Constantine pushing Christianity as the national religion, which changes a lot of things, the sacrifices and everything else. I think that's huge. And so, yeah, they were turning the world upside down from a very small uh, 12 people, or, you know, 12 men in an upper room to... Within 200 years of that moment, maybe maybe 300 years of that moment, they have essentially taken over the known world. Well, that's, that's part of really, this. Really, really cool. That's part of this revelation eschatology debate. Is is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Uh, okay, Christianity and power don't mix. Some people will say. And I think when you look at it, Jesus is King of Kings, and Psalm two, he expects the kings of the earth to bow down to him and kiss his feet. And so when that happens, you go, all right, that's that's what we should aim towards. And as you said, it shows that it was positive. This this Rome that was throwing Christians to the lions, that's pretty black pill. I mean, in, in the short-term sense, you know, that's that's very difficult. Uh, burning Christians alive, I mean, all the, all the bad things that were happening within a few generations, as you said, was saying, look, nobody's allowed to persecute Christians anymore. Leave them alone. In fact, we're going to endorse Christians. In fact, we're going to put crosses on stuff to let you know this is who we're we're on the side of. Um, yeah, that that's not a bad thing. That is positive growth. That is because in in the Christian society that comes out of Christian values being held, you think about how much morality has been changed worldwide by Christianity showing up and having influence. How many places child sacrifices have been stopped? How many places that you know brutality? Things I've talked about on here before. Christian influence spread it, spreading in that way is such a good thing for the world, and we have 2,000 years of history showing it can and it will, even despite bad times, even though it goes through some down times, even though there's there's times where it comes on the brink, Jesus keeps winning, his kingdom keeps advancing. And this also happens to, to connect, Will, what you were talking about, erasing your kid. First off, don't ever feel bad about mentioning Jackson. If the people knew how cute your son was... <laughs> They wouldn't worry about you mentioning him yeah, yeah. a ton on this podcast. But it, it also changes how we would approach our parenting because instead of parenting from a defensive position, please just keep the faith. Please just keep the faith. We would start parenting from a positive, like, you're going to go out and conquer. An that's offensive it, position, basically. That's exactly it. And that's why well, we talked my last boys. week about with the, them. the having children thing. There's that idea of, well, it's a really bad world. I don't want to bring children into it. And, I mean, again, even Jesus kind of mentions that point about the destruction of Jerusalem to come, that it's better for those that aren't pregnant at that time. On the other hand, looking at this on the other side of the resurrection and everything that is the kingdom, think, all right, we're going to put these kids to work for the kingdom. They're going to be part of this movement in the right direction. Well, and that's what I pray for, is that they will be conquerors for Christ. Like, they're going to go out and be strong warriors that make a difference for the kingdom. And not so they can go, hey, look at me, look what my kids did. It's like, no, that's what I expect every Christian kid to do. I don't want it to be a mere, like, run out the clock, you know, please, please, please keep the faith. It's like, no, no, I'm going to expect you to keep the faith. And maybe that's arrogant of me and as a young dad, but 
I don't want there to ever be any doubt in my kids' mind, man. You're going to do great things for God. We ought to be on the offensive. Some of our listeners probably aren't football fans or sports fans, but it's the prevent defense mindset. You know, when a team gets up really big and what do they do? They go in prevent defense. Well, what usually happens when you go in prevent defense? You get scored on because you're just trying to not give up the big play rather than, no, stay aggressive, stay going for it, stay gunning for the turnovers and, and that kind of thing. You know, it's it's just again, if you're a football fan, you know, prevent defense usually doesn't work very well because you're just trying to just trying to bleed out the clock, like Joe was saying. Consider where we are in America. Like we look like we are up big. Now we just need to play out the clock. You know, God is is taking America down. It's about to get a lot worse. You know, pessimistic, pessimistic. So we kind of we got this big lead in the 50s, the 60s, where everybody was a Christian, and boy, the tent meetings, the gospel meetings, where 300 people would show up and 250 of them would be baptized. And you know, boy, I miss those days. And so we look at all of that as though we got this 70 to zero lead, and now we're just playing prevent defense and the LGBTQ movement and the abortionists and and the left and and, and everybody that is coming up against Christianity that's They've trying to put it down. They've continually scored on us. They've continually yeah. scored on us while we're just like, please. Just hold on to the little bit of lead we have. Stop. Stop, people. Stop holding on to the little bit of lead. We can still go on the offensive. We need to stop pretending like we're just trying to run out the clock because that's exactly what will happen is we will run out the clock and somebody is going to have to do a better job, which and is to our the kids. parenting point. Right. And to the parenting point, that's why, you know, when I pray for my son, I don't pray, God, please just help him to be a Christian, help him to, to show up to church. No, I, I want him to be a warrior. I want him to be a warrior for Christ, somebody who will go out and work in God's kingdom, not somebody who will just, you know, who, who is content to just show up to church a couple hours a week. And again, the prevent defense thing, but no, somebody who is going to go out and be a warrior. If you have the premillennial, everything's going to get worse mindset, the the pessimistic mindset, then again, the need for the warrior, the need for your kids to be warriors is not there as much. So let's get into then reasons for optimism. I think we kind of hashed out the depressing, uh, pessimistic side of things, but I think there are strong reasons for optimism. And Will, as you talked about, you're more on Black Bill. That's where I was. But let me tell you why I've switched. And then I'll, I'll kick it to either one of you, whoever wants to take it, but I'll, I'll get into my reasons first. And one of the reasons that that got me thinking about this podcast is, you know, you read the news, you read all the things I mentioned at the beginning, and you go, oh, that's just another another blow against, uh, you know, America and everything else. In the book, The White Pill, as he goes through the Russian Revolution, he goes through the um, horrible Lenin-Stalin era, all the way up through Gorbachev and, and Gorbachev, however you want to say it, all the way up through the 80s, late 80s, and to see that the the... It started kind of right around the 1900s, maybe a bit before, and it went through the 1980s. In less than 100 years, you had the rise of truly awful, awful men who did horrible things against a people who were as powerless as you could possibly be. They are in Siberia. They are in, you know, no man's land, basically. They have no weapons. They have no money. They have no food. They have no way of protection. They barely have religion. They have nothing. And basically, a 90-year period, you went from totalitarian government, which, quote-unquote, communism for the people, it was never for the people. Millions died. Those who weren't shot and put to death and tortured were died, uh, died from starvation, died from going out in the wilderness and freezing to death. Horrible circumstances. But within 90 years, they turned it around, going from having zero power to having all of the power, and it changed Europe. And what do we see in Poland happening? What do we see in Hungary happening? What do we see in Austria? These different places are turning back toward Christ. Was it Poland that ruled or that declared Christ as king in their land? 
I think it was Poland. Um, rec- that was recently. And so we're seeing major rise of Christianity in Europe again. When has that happened? When was the last time? And we're talking, man, back to Martin Luther days, like way back where Christianity was was dominant. And even that wasn't a pure form of Christianity. It was a lot of Catholicism and, and power again, mixing with government. So positive things happening. How did that happen? It went from Russia and really the CCCP controlling all of that land to they controlled none of it, and it actually broke up in the 80s. And Russia has now turned way more Russian Orthodox. There was a time when religion would get you shot if you were shown to have any religion in there. So why is why does that make me optimistic? A few things. That was a short-lived reign. You went from being people, having people in Russia way less powerful than we are as the average American. We have weapons, we have money, we have food. Could they take that all away? Maybe, but a lot of people are way more self-sufficient than they were at the time. We have religion. We have communities of people. They strongly discourage communities of people. We have towns and, and cities and, and small little communities where people care for one another, especially it's one of the reasons we moved down to the South. That's a strong reason for optimism. Having weapons is a strong reason for optimism. That sounds dumb, but truly, I mean, that's that's what kind of balances the power. That's one of the reasons Japan didn't invade in World War II, is they realized... They're not just fighting the U.S. government. They're fighting all of the households that have firearms. That's a strong reason for optimism. Um, and once again, this only lasted 90 years, going from zero power to having all of the power. So even if things do get really bad, we're seeing the same things. Socialism was alive back then. We see socialism now and we freak out. These things collapse because they're not built on anything. Nation after nation does collapse, but there's always that bright end where you go, you know what? It, it's worthless. It, it has no core, nothing at the core, whereas Christianity does. Christianity will shine through, and the amount of information we have through the internet, well, you talked about. One of the reasons for pessimism is you can't trust the internet. One of the reasons for optimism is you don't trust the internet. You don't think they were indoctrinating our kids, uh, indoctrinating our kids on TV back in the 70s? We just didn't know it, and we happen to agree with the indoctrination a lot of the time. They've always been indoctrinating our kids. Right, they've it's always been, been more subtle. Correct. It's it's the Walter Cronkite, all the boomers that are, you know, well, boy, I just he told it how it is, baloney. He told it exactly how he wanted, and you had nobody else to say otherwise. And so it's like, boy, Walter Cronkite said he got to spin it however he wanted. What were you going to turn to? Like there was one TV channel at the time. Nowadays, we look at the guy on CNN and go, the guy is is full of baloney. He knows nothing, and I can go to 60 other news sources that contradict what he's saying. Is it a lot? Yeah, but the freedom of information and, and the rise of the internet and being able to spread that out where you have more people who know more things about government and, and life than ever before, I think is a really good thing, in my opinion. It makes us a I'll, lot I'll harder to you. rule. I'll tell you, Joe the Optimist is a pretty cool guy to be around. That's, that's it's, pretty, it's pretty wild, cool man. There. It's wild. It's <laughs> it's changed a little bit, and I'm telling you, that book changed it because, and Jack was the one that told me to read it. He got it, and I knew it was coming out. He got it. Yeah, it's not exactly what you expect. You're, you're, not, you're not giving Jack credit, are you? Surely not. I will actually give him credit for this one. Um, <laughs> yes, but reading through that is kind of like, once again, he gives you about a half a page at the end of the book. It's a 350-page book. He gives you about a half a page that's not having to do with history. And he doesn't hardly tell you anything about why you should be. And you draw all of these conclusions yourself and go, it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay. And it may not be okay in America, but things are going to be okay. We may end up living out the rest of our days in Germany, for all we know, in Poland. Like, that may end up happening, but I think we have this idea that America is the last great stand on earth. And I certainly had that idea of, like, where do we go from here? 
you're seeing that you know they tried all the stuff we're currently trying. It failed miserably in less than 100 years, and Russia has restarted. And all the countries surrounding have restarted. To me, that's a reason for optimism. What is happening in America, even if it continues through, which I think it's still hard to do, even if it does continue to the worst extent, they had less than a 100-year reign in Russia where they had no power at all, the people. Millions put to death. I don't think that's going to happen here. So that, that's my little spiel. Jack, what are your thoughts? No, I, I think there's a lot there I would agree with. I think one of the things that helps you be optimistic you know, everything you said is right, and, and that's one of the beautiful things of the internet. One of the things that he details in the book that helped bring all that down was information getting out, was people coming to the West and going, oh, wow, they told us you guys had it worse than us, and you've got grocery stores full of food. What's going on? You know, as soon as people got better information, it was very hard to keep the liable. Well, we've got that information. On the other hand, we've got to use the internet for the tool that it is of, of information and saying truths and holding on to, to things that are important and, and doing your research and all that stuff, but then get off the internet and, and get into real life, get face to face with people. I think the way forward, I've, I've said this before, I don't know on the podcast or writing or wherever, the answer to almost everything coming down the pike, the answer to COVID even, be human, be human, get face to face with people Sit down across the table, have lunch with people, share a meal with people, sit down and, and share you know thoughts and concerns with people, share concerns about all this with people. You know, one of the things you're going to need is localism, is having a guy you can trust to fix your car, having a guy that's, you know, you got the, somebody's raising chicken, somebody's got a garden, somebody where you can lean on each other if things get real bad. Uh, you know, like the, the greatest prepper in the world can't prep his own family to survive 10 years. I mean, like maybe they can, I don't know, but yeah, it, like there's a, a point at which what you need is something sustainable where even if it all falls apart, even if there's just this entire total collapse, which who knows whether there is or isn't, that's not... Your, your pessimism and optimism can't depend on that because you just have no control over that. What you do have control over is what value you're bringing to the people around you and what you're you know drawing off of them, what you're, you're sharing together in your local community, in your church family, is leaning on each other, is realizing we've got each other and that's okay. That's the humanity that gets stripped of us when we live entirely online, when our, you know, we, people are real big about just, you know, having these really close, tight-knit friend groups and, all right, well, who's your best friend? And all of your best friends live 700 miles away. Cool. It's really good to have those online connections, but you really need to drill down into these local connections. Be human. Again, those are harder to, to make work because you live near each other. There's more chance for friction. There's more difficulties. We might not be perfectly ideologically aligned, that's why God gave us the church, is so that we would have to submit to each other. We'd have to put each other first. We'd have to find a way to live with each other in an understanding way, to paraphrase another Bible verse. And so being human is the way forward out of all of this. And as long as we have that humanity shared among each other, among our church family and, and things like that, yeah, like you said, it'll be okay, whatever comes our way. That's one of the big reasons that I moved from Colorado, exactly what you're talking about. That's that's one of the, another reason why I'm more optimistic now is when I was in Colorado, I was very pessimistic. Had my family, had my in-laws. I mean, I knew a ton of people, but there wasn't this sense of camaraderie. There was, and, and that's something that we chase. And so for those listening, go, man, I live in, goodness, maybe California. Like, there's bad places, right? I mean, places that are really difficult where maybe you don't have that strong sense of community. 
What are you willing to do to chase it? And it's not just running out of fear. It's running towards something very positive. What are you willing to do for your family, for your future, and to make sure that you're set that even if things do get bad, I'm way more optimistic now that I'm in the South because I'm surrounded by a lot of like-minded people and by other family and by friends like you guys. I know you'll have my back. If things do get bad, I can still be optimistic that I'm going to be taken care of and I'll take care of you guys to the best of my ability, that matters. And that was worth its weight in gold in us moving. And I never thought I'd move. Proud Colorado native. Not so proud these days. But, you know, it, it, it's those are the sacrifices that sometimes you have to make in order to set yourself up for the future. I want to add one more thing. Uh, because, again, I, I typically would consider myself in, an, in everyday life a very glass-half-full optimistic person. And so it might seem strange that, okay, so we got a pessimistic you know, black pill on this. I want to speak to the the Christ is King thing that we kind of started off with. A lot of Christians can kind of just dismiss or can kind of dismiss what's going on in the world offhand. Just be, oh, well, Christ wins in the end, so it doesn't really matter. Let's just move on to other things because, you know, Christ wins. I I see that and I take a little bit of a different approach. And I'm going to draw it back to a sport, to a sport. A lot of people, you know, they have a team that they're rooting for. And they'll, they'll record it, right? They'll put it on their DVR and they'll want to go back and watch it later because they don't want to they don't, they don't, they want to learn the final score as it happens. They don't want to be told. I'm, I'm that way to some extent, but I also like knowing the final score and then going back and watching it. I'll give you, you know, I've, I've got a uh, basketball team that I really like to watch or a football team, a playoff game that I really like, that I, you know, have somebody I'm really rooting for. Man, if I know the final score, that motivates me even more to go back and watch it because it's like, man, this is so cool. I get to enjoy the game, but I also know who wins versus if I know that my team loses, guess what I'm probably not going to do? Probably not going to go back and watch it because I don't really see a point. Yes, we as Christians know and should know that Christ wins in the end. And rather than using that as a, again, de-incentivization to be like, well, you know, so I guess the rest of us doesn't really matter. Man, use that as a motivation to get to work, to raise your family to be faithful, to raise your kids to be warriors. Again, for me, knowing that we know the final score, we know that Jesus wins in the end, we know that our team, quote-unquote, is going to win— that should motivate us. That should, again, that, that should be something for us that makes us go, that is awesome. We're on the winning side. Let's get to work. Let's do what we can to conquer. Let's go make disciples of all the nations. Again, it should be the most invigorating thing in the world. Just like me, knowing that my basketball team is going to win the game motivates me to go watch it because I'm going to get to enjoy every single minute of it. Again, we, we can use the Christ is King thing to just kind of brush stuff aside a lot of the times. I take the opposite approach. I take the man, this is, this is motivating. This should invigorate us. This, this should get us to the point where we're excited to go get to work and to raise our families to be faithful and to do what we can to disciple the nations. Man, a surprisingly positive, optimistic uh, episode <laughs> of Think Deeper here. When we're talking How about, about it? the world collapsing, by the time this episode comes out, the entire banking industry might be up in flames. Who knows? Uh, not, not doing too hot just here today. Who cares? It's going to be okay. Um, start investing on those things that really matter, being human with your local people, plugged into the right sources, doing what you can to bring value to others, to show love to others. Um, I, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there are reasons for optimism. And again, I, I think to reiterate this point, the reasons for optimism are not, man, tomorrow everything's going to be okay. The economy is just going to get itself fixed. And, you know, they're going to, Drag Queen Story Hour is going to be outlawed all across the nation. We're not saying any of that's going to happen. We're saying even if that stuff does happen, it will meet an inevitable collapse because that's how God works. And through all of these collapses, his his own people, he takes care of, he provides a way, he provides a better 
you know, a, a light at the end of the tunnel, a bright side on the other side of it as things are improved, as there is a, a purging, as there is a, uh, I don't know what, what term I'm looking for, but, you know, where, where things come out better the other side. And so we can get through anything. We can, whatever situation we find ourselves in, I mean, that's kind of part of Philippians 4.13 is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is imprisonment, is starvation, is, you know, difficult times, is hunger, whatever, all those things Paul talks about. Yeah, we can make it. And so, uh, boy, again, how about that? Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully this gives all uh, the listeners gives each of you guys a uh, a more optimistic outlook. It's very easy to log in onto Facebook, Twitter every day, and, and I mean they call it doom scrolling for a reason. You just scroll and go, oh man, oh man, oh that's so bad. Oh no, not that. Oh no, not that. And and that fear and the outrage that social media is designed to bring out of you. That goes away when you start practicing these kind of things of sharing a meal with a fellow Christian, of going to church and singing with all your heart, of planting a garden and sharing it with others and, and things like that. Do those things. Do those things. A little bit less time on social media. Be aware, but don't be too plugged in. Be human. Live as Christ would have you live, and it goes a long way. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think we got to everything on the outline, Will. Uh, you're, you're spot on with that. Christ is king. Use that as motivation, not as as demotivation as sometimes we do so uh, you guys have anything else all right again remember uh that benefit dinner we've talked about uh is coming up rapidly focuspress.org slash benefit april 4th 6 p.m winchester uh and then the lads to leaders thing make plans if you're going to be there uh lots of cool stuff we're doing so keep an eye out for that and we will talk to you guys next week (laughs) 